tonight. The 24th century begins. Welcome to the Enterprise. In a special world premiere movie, Star Trek, The Next Generation. Ready for departure, sir. Engage. 78 years have passed since the days of the original USS Enterprise. Now a new galaxy starship has been designed with a new team of highly skilled Federation explorers. Starfleet Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Commander Riker, Executive Officer, Chief Medical Officer Crusher, and her brilliant son, Wesley, Lieutenant Commander Data, an android, the telepathic Troy, Geordi, a man with unique vision, Security Officer Yar, and Klingon Officer Worf. Shields and deflectors up, sir. Go to yellow alert. Their first mission, investigate a new star base on planet Denim 4. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. A hostile alien threatens the crew. Now go back. Well, thou shalt most certainly die. But they're determined to finish their mission. Arm half program torpedoes. Place them on ready status. Hostile is now beginning to overtake us, sir. Together, they stand trial before a merciless corpse. You will now answer to the charge of being a grievously savage race. Now, they have 24 hours to uncover the secrets of a strange world. They're firing on far points, sir. Classic legend begins an all-new adventure. Let's see what's out there. Star Trek, the next generation. Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. You may be wondering, geez, why did we play the premiere trailer for Star Trek, the next generation, Encounter at Firepoint, and not our usual song? Well, first of all, this isn't a regular show. This is Book Nook. And we're going to be talking about Sir Patrick Stewart's new memoir, Making It So. That's why we played that particular clip, because I think for the vast majority of us, maybe 98, 99% of us, our introduction to Patrick Stewart, knowing who he was, was in Star Trek. Uh, He'd been in things prior to Star Trek, but I, I don't think he, at that time, he wasn't the Patrick Stewart until he became Captain Picard. Uh, we're also going to be um, giving away a copy of his book to one lucky listener. So that's going to be really cool. Uh, I've got an excerpt from the book to play and a bonus excerpt to play for you guys. So we're going to be talking about the audio book, which is odd because normally book nook, we talk about the book itself. But before I get too far, I'd like to introduce to you guys my awesome truck experts who are going to be going along on this journey with us. And we'll start off with Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. If Jim were here, jump would be, Jim would be ready to jump into the swimming pool. Is it, is it 40? No. We, we, we just broke a record today. We hit 72. Oh, my God. That is swimming pool weather. Wow. I said normally we don't normally we don't see 70s in January and wow. we got them today and yesterday. Excellent, excellent. And we also have with us Eric. Eric is out in Portland. Eric, how's the swimming out in Portland? Uh, not quite as good as down in Las Vegas for sure. We're we're a little cloudy, but you know, it's been nice here. It's been in the 50s uh Fahrenheit and so, you know, re- relatively uh, walkable out there without too much, you know, jacket on or that sort of thing. And today the rain stopped. So today was an almost perfect spring day uh, in Portland. 
So that was very nice. And then I get to cap it off here with talking about Sir Patrick. Uh, this is a very exciting topic for me, and it's it's fun that for the first time ever, all three of us enjoyed the book via audiobook instead. Uh, that's never happened before. Um, both Charles and I are fairly frequent audiobook guys, uh, but you know he he takes one, I take another here and there. But man, Jim, you loved it too, didn't you? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. Um, our phone awesome. number here is four six 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 eight two four three. Um, if you'd like to give us a call and share your thoughts about the book, what you're to walk and call track talk, and we'll be live here for the next hour. So before we go too far, um, yeah, I listened to the audio book, and I just I want to preface this show. There's two points I want to make. First of all. I never listen to audiobooks ever. And the reason why I don't is because to me, uh, holding the book and reading the book and, and uh, absorbing it, and it, it's part of the experience. And um, w- w- listening to an audiobook, and, and this was the first time I actually did, and it is a completely different experience. It's, um, so I prefer to read the book. The only reason why I didn't is because it's Sir Patrick Stirk, guys. Come on, <laughs> what more do you need than to hear the man's story in his own words? And that's the only reason why I did. And yeah, I can't say enough. It, it, pretty sure I could have read the book a lot longer, eighteen and a half hours. But it's Sir Patrick Stirk. Come on. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah, Jim, that was a lot I of- actually think. I think that's a fair point to make since you're talking about the length of this thing. So, uh, Charles, I, you probably, you and I probably have the best sort of gauges of like pages to, you know, amount of time. But to me, yes, 18 hours, 50 minutes was long for a 440 page book. And I think it's because Sir Patrick takes his time when he reads this book, you know, he's not in a hurry. He's sort of, uh, the, the pace of it is as if he's kind of, sitting in front of the fire, you know, telling you stories uh, about his past. And he takes a kind of relaxed attitude toward it as opposed to maybe a lot of audiobooks, which may include, um, you know, some action scenes that go a little faster or, uh, you know, just basically are read a little bit more quickly than Sir Patrick read his book here. So a little long, but, but, yeah, it it was worth it. Like the time, <laughs> the extra time that it took, I think, was worth it to hear it in his voice. It it, it was. It was, an ex- it was an experience I'm for used- sure. I'm used to books being that long. A lot of books I get are 20-plus hours. Yeah, but those are typically 500-plus page books. So I guess the, the page-to-hours ratio, I guess, or the – what, the time to page ratio was higher <laughs> than I'm used to seeing. But, but when you have somebody reading a story, they go at a steady pace. They usually put a lot of emotion into it unless it's in the story or they chose to add a little to it. This was personal experience to him. You're looking at situations. This was personal stories to him. This was his my memoir. He wanted to put a little more emotion and a little more feeling to how his stories went. And I think it made oh, this added to the book. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to, so I bought the autograph, 
edition of the book for Jamie for Christmas because she wanted it. And so that's why I couldn't read it um, when you guys were listening to the book because I knew Jamie was getting it. So I had to wait. But then when, when Eric said that he read the audio book, I said, well, I don't have to wait. I'll just download the audio book and listen to that, which is what I did. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm getting off track a little bit here. I, I, I recommend that if, if you're interested that you listen to the audio book because hearing the story in his own words um, is, is something very special, I think. It's not like, you know, a Star Trek episode or some made-up, you know, Star Trek adventure. This is Sir Patrick Stort's story that he told in his own words. It's, 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 it's very unique, and, and uh, I'm glad I listened to it. Um, so I, I recommend it uh, very, very highly. Now, has some pages of pictures which aren't in the audiobook. So you won't see the pictures of his family and his brother and, and things of that nature. However, the audiobook has a bonus that's not in the printed book, which I'm going to play for you guys a little later in the podcast. So to give you a reason to stick around. <laughs> all right. So there's that. And I have to make the biggest preface of all, the ultimate preface. I don't know anything about Shakespeare or Hamlet, nothing, nothing, absolutely zero, zilch, nothing. So to be completely honest with you guys, all the Hamlet stories meant nothing to me. All the Shakespeare stories meant nothing to me. He could have been talking about dancing cheeseburgers. I mean, it meant nothing, zero to me, nothing. I don't know the characters. I don't know the plays. I don't know. It was nothing to me. So that's another preface that I need to make. <laughs> is that, um, you know, I personally, and I'm saying this to start because I want to get it out of the way before. Personally, I would. Personally, I was hoping. That's not the right word either. I was expecting a lot more in this book about Star Trek than I got. I want to say that you guys can correct me, but I want to say that maybe 90% of this book was Hamlet and Shakespeare and stage plays and playhouses and things of that nature. Uh, Very little of it was about Star Trek, which was a disappointment to me. Um, Also, I wanted to hear more about his, his other movies. He talked a little bit about his X-Men. You know, he, he, he talked about life force briefly. Didn't mention Excalibur. Talked about some of his TV shows, uh, family man, a family guy, uh, American dad, things of that nature, working with um, Seth MacFarlane. Um, But that wasn't until like chapter 22 like way, way, way into the book. So for the for the beginning, I think that if I was reading this book, I would have been bored out of my mind and I would have been skipping over a ton of stuff that just wasn't relevant to me. However, and this is why I wanted to preface that, 
even though it meant nothing to me and I had no idea what he was talking about, hearing him tell the story was riveting, even though I didn't really know what he was talking about. Hearing him sell it was just was a highlight, actually. Come home from work, and I just lay on the bed, put on my headphones, and just spend an hour or two with Sir Patrick Stewart. So I just wanted to say that and get that out of the way. All right. So uh, the first time I wanted to I wanted to play something for you guys. This is the first clip that I want to share with you guys. Um, as far as Star Trek: The Next Generation goes, this next clip is the very very first time. This is how we as Star Trek fans introduced to um, Captain Picard. And uh, this was on September 26, 1987. And this was how Captain Picard made his first appearance on our television set. Captain's log, Stardate 41153.7. Our destination is planet Deneb 4, beyond which lies the great unexplored mass of the galaxy. My orders are to examine Farpoint, a starbase built there by the inhabitants of that world. Meanwhile, I am becoming better acquainted with my new command, this galaxy-class USS Enterprise. I am still somewhat in awe of its size and complexity. As for my crew, we are short in several key positions, most notably a first officer, but I'm informed that a highly experienced man, one Commander William Riker, will be waiting to join the ship at our Deneb 4 destination. And that would begin the journey of Patrick Stewart as Captain Picard. So, you know, I've told you guys a little bit about, um, you know, prefaced my feelings about the book. And I think that I will leave all the Shakespeare and Hamlet stuff to you guys, because as I said, it means nothing me at all so I, I can't comment on something that I am not familiar with so I will leave that to you guys um, and before we get too far we were running a giveaway for a copy of this book which I have sitting right here on my desk and I want to give it to one lucky listener and I asked you guys to go to our Facebook page not to our Facebook page uh, go to trektalking.com and to click on the little blue talkback mic in the right-hand corner and leave us a message and tell us why you deserve to win a copy of the book. And uh, several fans did that. And I have, um, I, have, I have the recordings here of, of our um, contestants. So you guys want to hear some contestants? You ready? Do it. All sure. right. So here we have our um, our very first one. Our uh, you know I'm going to play them backwards. I'm going to play the 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 one that that uh, you picked as last. So here's the runner up. Our runner up is our first runner up is TJ. Hello, my name is TJ Green. I'm one of the tour guides at the Star Trek set tour in Ticonderoga, New York. I would like to win the Making It So memoir written by Sir Patrick Stewart. It's looking to be an interesting new avenue into 
Patrick's journey as Picard for both Next Generation and, of course, the Picard series. And it would be great research to have for when we do our annual convention every year called Trek Honderogo. We have members of the Star Trek casts, which include Next Generation, who visit the set tour from time to time. And it would be great to have that knowledge and be able to talk about the book with them when I see them. Uh, I have also been uh, a guest Trekspert on one episode. Hopefully I would like to do so again. And it would be great to maybe have an episode uh, comment or such talking about the book in full. would be pretty cool. So that's why I would like to win it and live long and prosper. So that was TJ, and uh, unfortunately, TJ didn't win the book, but he did win a Trek Talking T-shirt. Our Ooh, second, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> uh, our second runner-up is Jody, and let's hear what Jody had to say. Hello, my name is Jody Crane, and Patrick Stewart is my captain. Mokapitan. I have loved him since I first started watching The Next Generation when I was in college. And my advisor and anthropology teacher recommended it, period. She said it was an amazing show about hope for our future and we should all check it out, period. I thought it was bizarre that a college professor would recommend a Star Trek show, but it made me curious, period. I have always loved it from that point forward, period. <laughs> period. <laughs> anyway, I deserve to win. Thank you. <laughs> so, Jody, you didn't win the book, but you will be getting a Trek Talking t-shirt. And here's our number one. Here's our winner. Here was the best message that we recorded that we received, and uh, this is Shelly, and congratulations, Shelly. You'll not only be receiving the book, but a T-shirt as well. So let's hear what Shelly had to say. If I had a triple for every Star Trek episode I had seen, I wouldn't even be able to get into my house. But yesterday, I decided to take a break from the Christmas craziness and watch Star Trek all day. It was a great day. I love Patrick Stewart. He is my absolute favorite captain. Please consider me. And you guys uh, chose Shelly. So congratulations, Shelly. You're receiving a copy of the book and a Trek Talking t-shirt. So, guys, uh, that wraps up our giveaway. We have our winner. And let's talk about the audio book. So, um, who wants to get us started with the audio book? Eric, Charles, since. Yeah, well, um, go ahead. Yep. Charles, go you ahead, Eric. All right, all right. Uh, yeah, so, I, so uh, let's see. Overall impressions first, and then we can get into the nitty gritties. So, Jim get, kind of gave his overall impression. Um, I guess my overall impression of the book was that. I could see where people could kind of get lost in the first uh, two thirds or so. So, so 
first and foremost, this is a memoir, right? It's called Making It So, a memoir or something like that. And so I think that Patrick's, I'm guessing, I haven't heard him actually talk about this book, so this is pure conjecture, but I'm guessing that his intent with this book was to sort of, um, you know, open up his life a little bit to uh, fans and tell his stories and maybe in the process actually have some, you know, life lessons generated. Um, I think any good memoir kind of does that where, you know, somebody's looking back on their life and they're saying, hey, I did this, I did this, I did this, and here's what it all came down to and here's what it all means. And so in that regard, I thought the book was really successful. Um, if you think about it, Sir Patrick is in his 80s now, and um, he spent seven years of his life on Star Trek and then another, whatever, three, four, five years, however it adds up <laughs> on Picard with all the breaks and all that sort of stuff. But let's say maybe five years of his life or so on Picard. So, you know, there's a solid like 10, 12 years. I'm ballparking here, but uh, what does that add up to? That's, that's a, you know, a pretty significant chunk of his life that he has spent on Star Trek. But I think what is really interesting about the book is that Star Trek, as Jim was saying, doesn't come up till about two-thirds of the way through. I think it's like page 300 or something is where he starts talking about it. And before that, he takes you on a journey of what it took him to get to 1987's Star Trek. And it includes a lot of stuff from his boyhood, um, growing up in England. He does a very excellent job of sort of setting the stage of what life is like in the northern UK. As a person from the United States, I, you know, I, I know where London is. Um, I know where Sheffield is. Thank you, Doctor Who. But I didn't really kind of understand the sort of cultural and, um, you know, sort of blue-collar industrial difference of, that the North has over the South. And I certainly am not sophisticated in my knowledge of it, but Sir Patrick's book actually opened my knowledge base in that regard and I think it kind of sets a really cool stage because he, he shows you right at the beginning that he's a, a kid that doesn't come from too much. He's got not only not a lot of money in the family, he's got an abusive father, he's got a mom that does what she can and he loves her dearly and he talks about her a lot throughout the book um, which I think is a really special part of it because it kind of shows you the parallels automatically. I couldn't help for those th first 300 pages every time he talked about his boyhood, the parallels between that and the Picard series and the different things that were sort of shown in that, um, in that series, you know, with uh, Jean-Luc's mother. <laughs> um, I, he then kind of goes into his, you know, later years and, and hit all of his acting. And may, I could see maybe this is where, people start to kind of lose interest because he does talk an awful lot about theater, how he got from one place to another. But I think the overall theme that I see in that part of the book is that he's a man that never turned on an opportunity when it presented itself, but he's constantly living with, um, with a cell, with a lack of self-confidence, which is so funny because I think you're right, Jim, we all came to know him, you know, as, as Picard and Picard is like the very definition of self-confidence, but you sort of learn through reading this book that Patrick himself doesn't have a lot of self-confidence. And in fact, he's, he's made a lot of mistakes in his life. And throughout the book, he sprinkles a lot of different stories about mistakes that he's made parallels that he sees between himself and his abusive father, um, you know, 
mistakes that he's made later in life with his marriages and that sort of stuff. So he kind of like lays it all out on the table. And so that middle part doesn't really bother me because I, it kind of like forms the transition of how does this boy come from this past and then try and take every opportunity he can and kind of develop into an adult through all of this theater and stuff. And then eventually kind of getting the payoff, I think later on in life when he, of course, joins the Royal Shakespeare Company and stuff, which I think Charles will probably talk a bit more about. So I didn't mind, Jim, that first two-thirds of the book not really having much to do with Star Trek. And then, you know, in the last third of the book, we do get an arc that goes from Next Generation to Picard. And there's some other stuff sprinkled in there with other projects that he's done or, or you know, talking about the X-Men, that sort of stuff that, that kind of in the last part of his career. But overall, I really – that's not too too detailed, I hope. That's just kind of my overarching view of the book. I really liked the arc of it. I liked spending one-third in boyhood, one-third in the middle, and then kind of like one-third in late adulthood post-Star uh, Trek. So, uh, Charles, what's your overall impression? Okay. Well, okay. <clears throat> I actually got to – Take one year a uh, after Christmas visit to London on a theater group. We get to, we did get to see some Shakespeare there, and I've got a lot. I've seen a lot of Shakespeare plays, so I've got a lot of knowledge behind them. One place I didn't see a production, but I did get to see the theater was Stratford upon Avon. And that's one of the RSDs, the Royal Shakespearean Fest, Royal Shakespearean Company. Companies, places they've done for performances. And the theater at Stratford upon Avon, where Shakespeare was born, is an authentic period theater. He talks about he and one of the wives going there and walking through the city and being so commercial. It's like, yeah, that city is very commercial. But to sit there and see some of the important important things there and to think about what it was like going through there. <clears throat> Something I like about this book that he did <coughs> – is he jumps around a lot. He'll get into a tangent and bring you up to the future with that one tangent, and then he'll go back and continue on with stories. And I would just, I happened to have a copy of the, autograph, the signed book and was looking at it, like, oh, there's an index in here. And one of the indexes I looked at, and it's like, food. Oh. To mention the corned beef sandwich in New York is visiting the original Tommy's in Los Angeles. The pizza slice in New York City, which was a big Instagram and big picture. The sandwich scene in Macbeth. It was just some of these stories were just fascinating to hear his point of view. He posted on Instagram about his first slice of pizza. People are like, well, you've never had pizza before? 
And he's like, no, I've had a slice of pizza. I've never had a New York slice of pizza where you fold in half and you eat it. And personally, I've never done that to a New York slice. And would think that would be interesting to actually have it where you fold it over. But to experience that, that's an interesting way of doing things. But Well, Charles, I want to interrupt you for a second there. If you've ever had a slice of authentic New York pizza <laughs> that's so about <laughs> nine or ten inches on the on the crust. Yeah. There is no way you can eat it without holding it. It's just you not it wouldn't it. be possible. It's, it's like it, a it's like you, a quarter of a sixteen inch pizza or eighteen inch pizza or something. It's crazy. It it's it's absolutely huge. You, you have to fold I you have to fold it. Otherwise Well, char- well you can eat you can eat it with a fork and knife, I suppose. But that's oh, geez. Oh, geez. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> no, um, let's Charles, not talk about that. Charles, can I, can I just uh, – I just want to mention something about – because what you said – you said something about the tangents, which I think – so this is one of the reasons that I – this book uh, – like we keep touting the audio book, right? But seriously, yeah. one of the reasons that this is best consumed as an audio book are that when you get into tangents – if you're a person who has very good kind of, um, you know, story, spatial awareness, and you can read that and you can kind of keep the beginning half of that story in your head while he goes down a road and then comes back and then finishes the story, good for you. I find it easier to do that when somebody is telling me the story, you know, because yeah. they can use things like um, their voice inflection or when something's less important, they will um, – the the timbre of their voice will drop off at the end of sentences or things like that, right? Mm-hmm. You can take the cues when you're listening to them tell the story. Tangents, I think, are one of the things about listening to the audiobook. Yes. Well, and talking he, about tangents, and he does so one of the well. – one he of the does. great things yeah. about the tangents that he goes on in this book, especially in the beginning when I was being bored with the Shakespeare and Hamlet, which, <laughs> which, I know, which you could be talking in Klingon. I, I don't have a clue, but he would all of a sudden he 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 tangent to a story about Michael Dorn and Worf, or or he tell a story about Jonathan Frakes or Brent Spiner, and he would sprinkle these little like you're calling tangents in there from time to time, which, yep. which made me perk right up and, and be like, oh, 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 here's something I know about. <laughs> yeah, you know what is so interesting? I wonder if that – I just wonder when he wrote this. I mean, obviously, he must have massaged it quite a bit, but if it was sort of stream of consciousness, like did that story about Michael Dorn come up while he was thinking about that topic, or was it – Later, he had to come back, and and somebody was the publisher was like, "I oh, need to make this more interesting. Let's tell a story. Do you have any good stories that fit into this? You know what I mean? I'd just be curious yeah. about his writing process and how that information actually came out of his head. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, one of the things that he talked about, and Jim might not understand the play, but I can picture the scene. Of they're sitting there saying, okay, I'm sitting in this scene. I don't have anything to do. And somebody's going to come and say, why don't you make a sandwich? <laughs> it's like, wow, what a perfect idea, because then the character is doing something on stage and is kept busy, 
was able to do his his lines so much better because there's a lot of meaning to it. But there's a couple of things in this story, a couple of things in the latter part that really were special to me. And one was just talking about going to Star Trek Las Vegas and talking about we're going to do Picard. And most people thought, oh, okay. I was there in the theater when he walked out. It was a white T-shirt and jeans. When he walked on stage, and I mean, when they say it was kept a secret, no one knew he was showing up. And the showrunner's up there, and so I got some news, but I don't think I should say it. I'm going to bring somebody else in to talk the news. And Patrick walked on stage. And when he said the crowd was loud when he announced Picard, you've got a big theater right there. Then you go behind the theater, and there's a walkway. And then down the hall, you'll eventually get the dealer's room. The crowd was so loud the dealer's room, here are the cheers. I'm sure people down the, down the casino down the way almost hear the cheers because it was so loud. But it was just the fact, I was there when it happened. And that was just his storytelling, the way it was, made it so special. And then we talked about doing the sonnets. I remember him doing the sonnets on, he said on Instagram, but they also put, went on Facebook. This was during and COVID. We're sitting the, this was during COVID. Right For anybody who doesn't remember them, can you describe Charles? <clears throat> yeah. But we're right in the middle of COVID, and he does his he does his, <clears throat> he does one of Shakespeare's sonnets for his wife, and she's like, "Well, why don't we record this?" Okay, put there on social media. See what people think. Fans loved it. He did the entire all. Oh, I believe it's 170 sonnets. One a day, and posted out there. If you guys recall, we played. We played uh, when we did our shows on Thursday nights. Whatever <laughs> sonnet he was do was on that day. We played on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We didn't play all 162 of them, but the ones that he did on Thursdays, I would rip them and we would play them on the podcast. So we did. We did play some of those on the show. Not all. But it was nice the fact. But it was nice the fact of just hearing him reminisce that it's like, oh, I, I remember when you were doing that. Jim's talking about he doesn't talk much about some of the movies he did, but he sure went into a lot of detail about his one with Dune. Yes, he did. Particularly his relationship with the director. Exactly, and that was a fascinating story. Yeah, people well, uh, wonder about. Oh, I've I've, li- I've listened to this book and remember some of the stories. I read the I listened to the book when at least when they said, "Oh, we're going to do a show on it." Like, well, I guess I better go re-listen to it again. So well, I listened to I, it twice I, and loved the, it both times. The the like Eric said, it, the first two thirds. Um, 
Well, I won't talk about that. Uh, the, what I really loved, okay, there was a story that he told, and I, I'm not going to ruin it for people if you haven't read it or listened to it, but I'm just going to, was his run-in with Paul McCartney. Like I said, guys, when he, when he touched on something that I could relate to and knew, it was pretty special. And, 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 and of course he wasn't Sir Paul McCartney at that time. And he wasn't Sir Patrick Stewart at that time, but the story was, was just like, wow. Now that's a story to tell. And I, that one stuck in my, like, wow, that was, what a freaking moment that would oh. be. <laughs> what, what, about his, what about his meeting? What about his meeting with Sting? I yeah. was, I, I was going to say that. The other thing that when he was talking about Dune uh, and he was talking about Sting, my ears perked up immediately because, ah, I know this too. And, you know, what he thought, who he thought Sting was and who he thought the police were and that whole conversation just I was just like wow that I was on the floor that was just another one of those just incredible moments that you have to listen to it or read it and I don't want to tell you about it but it was great and another uh, moment for me that stuck in my head we talked about this a little bit with Paul and his Flash Gordon figure on our Thursday show but I did not know that Brian Blessed, who plays Prince Voltan in one of my favorite movies from the 80s, Flash, ah, music by Queen, um, that him and Brian grew up together and were such close friends. That blew my mind. And when he kept talking about it, I'm thinking to myself, is this, is this Prince Voltan from Flash Gordon? And then finally he, he acknowledges that. And and Brian Blessed will come back throughout the entire memoir. He'll drift away, but then he'll come back, and then he'll run into him again, and then he'll come back. So I really enjoyed, uh, you know, all the, the stories about about him because I love Flash Gordon. So that was really, really awesome. And the entire, oh, I don't know, like the last four chapters are, were like just riveting for me, um, you know, when, when he was talking about um, the alternate ending for Picard, uh, I, w- I was really piqued about that. When he was talking about, um, I saw one play in my life, guys, and only one, and it was a one-man show. Take a wild guess at what it was. Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol with Patrick Stewart off-Broadway. I was there, and I, I, I only went because it was Patrick Stewart. Yes, I'm one of those people. <laughs> but my, my wife and I just loved it, uh, and it was great. And when he was, to hear him talk about that really, really, really piqued my interest. So, you know, overall, even if you're not a Shakespearean or a Hamlet person like me, you don't understand it, and it means nothing to you. There are so many intriguing, awesome, fun stories in this book. Sting, for instance, Paul McCartney, that, and to hear it, to hear him tell the story is absolutely well, And Jim, there's no, as far as I know, there's no, uh, you know, ghost writer or co-writer here. And so 
you know, assuming that Sir Patrick wrote all this stuff himself, he's a he's a wonderfully engaging writer. I mean, he, he's a person that I want to listen to because uh, remember all the stuff that, you know, he's telling stories, but he had to he had to write it on a page first, and then by the time we hear it, he's just sort of reading it. So I I was impressed with that because um, you know when you talk about actors and their talents, uh, you have some actors who can act. You have some actors who can act and dance. You have some actors who can act and dance and write uh, and sing too. Uh, I don't know if Patrick can sing or not. Probably not much, but but he certainly oh, can yes, write. Oh yes, he can western. Well, he he. It, there was that. Yes, there's a very funny. If you haven't seen it, this video that his wife put up years ago of him singing cowboy songs online was pretty awesome, but. I, it, there's one more topic that I just wanted to c- cover real quickly, if I could, which is that um, because it's a memoir and we get this kind of arc of Sir Patrick's life, we get him often kind of like looking back on things and, um, you know, commenting on them or, or uh, you know, offering either regrets or things that he liked or celebrations or that sort of thing. And one of the things that he talks about, I think, that he has um, included in his latter adult life, especially, is therapy. And I think that therapy has helped him go through a lot of the issues that have come up from his childhood, from his his dad, uh, the decisions that he's made through his life that he's regretted. And I think that you should probably read the book and, and hear about some of those in his own voice because some of them are deep and very revealing and I think it's great that he kind of lays it on the line here and just really opens his heart to his fans who want to read this book and learn more about who Patrick Stewart himself is Um, and I just really appreciate the fact that he kind of shouts out being in therapy as a normal process and as a thing that has kind of helped him through his life and become I think the best version of himself that he wants to be, uh, which is the, the person that he is right now. So I just think that's really cool that he, 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 you know, he brings that to the fore for everybody to, to think about and, and for it to be a normal thing. And I think if anybody who looks up to Sir Patrick, who, you know, feels like they've got uh, things they need to work out or things they need to talk about. I, this is a great example as far as I'm concerned. This is one of those moments where Sir Patrick is a great example like Picard would be to people who um, you know, may need to seek out these things. I don't know. I just love that part of the book. Well, we've been talking, we've been touting how awesome this book is in his own words. Are you, you guys want to hear a little excerpt from the book? Absolutely. You guys ready? So it was tough for me to pick an excerpt. Uh, it really was. Uh, but I'm a little biased, and so I don't think you guys will be too shocked when you hear the excerpt that I chose out of the 18-plus hours of audio. So here we go. This is an actual excerpt from the book in Patrick Stewart's own words. It is extraordinary, the reach of Star Trek. If I entered into its universe, a stranger to its customs, I neared the end of my time on the next generation, recognizing that I was a custodian of something held dear by millions of people, probably hundreds of millions. 
I have been approached by so many strangers who freely confess to me that they endured difficult childhoods and that the one thing that they could hold on to that pulled them through by giving them something to look forward to was our show. I have observed that a significant proportion of the fans who approach me in America are black. The precise reason for this are not for me to articulate, but I suspect that what Whoopi Goldberg said to me rings true with many people of color, that Star Trek, in its different incarnations, presents an aspirational future preferable to our present, a future where inclusivity is a given rather than an effort. Then there are the famous fans. Tom Hanks has told me he knows all the TNG episodes by name, so obsessively has he watched them. I have it on good authority that Frank Sinatra, of all people, was a devoted viewer. I only wish I could have heard his reasons sung. And it's always a strange feeling when I'm talking to some enormously accomplished person and I suddenly realize that they are behaving a little oddly because they're hanging out with Captain Picard. This happened when I met novelist Salman Rushdie. I was intimidated by him to the point of inarticulacy. So reverent am I towards his books and intellect. Then I noticed that he was acting the same way toward me, shyly, haltingly, asking me, half-formed questions about the Enterprise and the Borg. Oh, I get it, I thought to myself. He's a fan. So that was uh, of the entire... <laughs> I love it. I the... love Sal- Salman Rushdie fanning out to Patrick Stewart is awesome. I love that. Yeah, I uh, to me that, that clip just... Yeah, that was the one... To walk away from the book, that was the clip that I chose. So That was a good one, Jim. And I think it's, he's totally right. I mean, on this podcast, we talk quite a bit about the Idic and uh, uh, about, you know, just in- inclusion in Star Trek in general. And it's nice to hear Sir Patrick say it out loud because I think we all agree. Yes, I, I, that was the clip that I had to go with. So. You guys are going to have to read the book or listen to the book yourself to find out where exactly that clip is, by the way, because I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, you know, Jim, so, like, speaking of Star Trek, I mean, so, you know, I was saying at the beginning of the podcast that I feel like every good memoir kind of has a lesson embedded in it somehow, and much in the same way that I think, you know, every episode of Star Trek well, not every episode. Most episodes of Star Trek try to embed some sort of uh, lesson in them, or they certainly are at least morality plays that ask a lot of questions. I think the big takeaway from this book for me is that uh, his story, his kind of life story, is kind of like Star Trek in that, um, you know, if you hope, it like hope sort of drives the bus, right? You, without this kind of like optimism or this willingness to kind of push the ball forward or take opportunities when they present themselves or that sort of thing, you you may not get as far in life 
as you want to. So the potential to be more than we can imagine is really always there. You just have to kind of seize the moment when it presents itself. And I, I really like that lesson personally. Uh, I, I can't remember. There's there's some quote about um, you know taking opportunities when they present themselves, and that's how you actually get ahead. And I I think that's true. Um, now you could say that you know some people may call him uh, a privileged person, but I'll tell you this book set me straight in that regard because his boyhood was no was no joyride, uh, and he did come from no. beginnings. And he was able to kind of push through hard times and that sort of stuff um, and prejudices against people from the northern UK, particularly once he got uh, involved in theater in London. Um, so, you know, he, he's he's I don't know. I think he's the reason that I love the book so much is not just the way that he tells the stories, but the fact that he he I think he even says it in the book somewhere. He's like the later I get in life, the more like Picard I become. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, this, this book sort of reads yep. that way. Like he, he sort of like gains, you know, wisdom as life goes by. And he's able to go back and kind of like say, you know what? I screwed up that time, but I learned from it. And now I'm going to do it better next time. So great lesson well, in this book. Too. Well, he, talk, was, he talks I, about... He lived in a haunted house. That was an interesting little yeah. tidbit. Well, so I that was something I didn't know about Patrick. So there clearly had, were there were a handful of stories here where he talked about connections to the sort of supernatural world and his belief in them, which I thought were interesting. Yeah, definitely. Go ahead, I Joe. didn't know. Well, yeah. He t- he talks about the fact that <clears throat> TNG when they got the first the first season or two and Several of the cast were getting these high, classy cars, <laughs> and Patrick Stark thought he was being real good because he was getting a the Corolla, right? One, but a, I, it, I think it was a Hyundai. But he oh, was, was getting okay. one of the. But he was getting a Hyundai, and it's like that was an up. That was a up for him. Uh, being a classic, a good, a good classic, rich car, to him, and yet you hear about the other stars getting these high, expensive, real high class cars, and he's just got a modern car, and yet he was happy. So that I don't think that he was proving the fact that money didn't really affect him, as it could have back in those days. Yeah, and you know, another story that surprised me was his involvement with uh, Jennifer Hedrick, who played Vosh in TNG. Yeah. Um, you know, they had a chemistry on screen, um, but they had more of a chemistry off screen. And Turns out. Yeah, that surprised yeah. me, too. You have to read the book to find out about that. Yeah, in fact, but, I will say that one of the things about Patrick that is very clear in this book is that he is a ladies' man. I mean, he talks a lot about women from, like, from when his middle boyhood, essentially, forward to, like, current day. And I don't, I don't even remember how many different relationships and, you know, things that he mentions. But he doesn't come off as somebody who's, like, 
just speaking from woman to woman, he's he like specifically tells stories about each person along the way and ways that they influenced kind of what was going on with his life at the time. But he he definitely played the field a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I wanted to the the way he ends the book is so great because he tells the story about Picard. And I remember when Picard came out, there were a lot of people, and there still are people that hate it. But after reading the book, he said that he wanted Picard to be different. He didn't want it to be a TNG reunion. He was completely dead set against that. Because the, the, when you read this book, and then you go and you watch Picard, the series, the first two seasons, you can see a lot of what's in this book on the screen. Like, this is kind of like Jean-Luc Picard's memoirs almost, you know? So I really, I really liked that because it gives you a different way of looking at Picard, you know, after hearing him read the book, which was great. It points out how much Picard was influenced by Patrick's own personal life and the writing of Picard and the stories that were told for sure. Absolutely. And we have, we have about seven minutes left. And I have, I told you guys I had a bonus clip for you, and I do. Um, I went and I checked my daughter's book, and my daughter's book ends with the, a, a different ending. I'm, I don't want to tell you what it is. But the audio book ends, and then he reads the credits, and there's a bonus clip at the end of the audio book. And I'm going to play that for you guys right now. I think you're really going to enjoy it. The following is an excerpt from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, read by Patrick Stewart. Marley was dead, to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clerk, the clergyman, the undertaker, the chief mourner, Scrooge, signed it. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. Scrooge knew he was dead. Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years, though Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood years afterwards above the warehouse door, Scrooge, and Marley. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck generous fire, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. He carried his own low temperature always about with him, He iced his office in the dog days, and he didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, nor wintry weather chill him. 
Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what it was a clock. Even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming would tug their owners into doorways and up courts. But what did Scrooge care? It was the very thing he liked to edge his way along the crowded paths of life, warning all human sympathy to keep its distance. Once upon a time, and of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting-house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather, foggy withal, and he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stamping their feet upon the pavement stones to warm them. The city clocks had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. The fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole, and was so dense without, the houses opposite were mere phantoms. The door of Scrooge's counting-house was open, that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who, in a dismal little cell beyond, a sort of tank, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal, but he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal-box in his own room, and so surely as the clerk came in with the shovel, the master predicted that it would be necessary for them to part. Whereupon the clerk put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself at the candle, in which effort, not being a man of strong imagination, he failed. A Merry Christmas, Uncle! It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew, who came upon him so quickly that this was the first intimation he had of his approach. He had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and the frost, this nephew of Scrooge's, that he was all in a glow. His face was ruddy and handsome, and his eyes sparkled. Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you! Ah, said Scrooge. Humbug! Christmas a humbug, Uncle? You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. Oh, don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas. Out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Uncle, nephew, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. Come, dine with us tomorrow. I'll see you in hell first. But why? Why? Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon. Well, I'm sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. But I'll keep my Christmas humour to the last. So, Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. <laughs> uh, so, uh, that was the bonus clip. So, in closing, uh, did you have anything you wanted to say in closing before we... End off the show, Eric. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say 
good afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Charles? (laughs) Well, one of the things I one of the things I want to bring up that came to mind also in the book was sometimes talking about language. And there's a scene from Macbeth, and the line just goes, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. But that doesn't set the pace of the character. But when he sits there and gets told, the emphasis on that line, and, and you hear tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow adds entirely new pace to the story. And I love the fact that he talks about how strong Shakespeare's language is. And speaking of tomorrow... And with that, thir- good day, sir. Thir- <laughs> I have to tell you, I'll, I'll just joke, I'll just tell you this joke we have in our house. We have this running joke where we literally say good afternoon to each other when we are dismissing one another. <laughs> so it just is so funny <laughs> that he included that. <laughs> So I want to let you guys know that Thursday night, we're going to be talking to Greg Sargent, who played an Andorian security officer named Thon in Star Trek Enterprises episode, Andorian Incident. So you want to tune in for that, uh, find out what goes into becoming an Andorian on Star Trek. And uh, he's been in Pirates of the Caribbean. He's been in a ton of movies. So go to IMBD, check him out, and then call Thursday night. Same bat time, same bat channel, 646-668-2433, and have your questions ready. Also, our, my old meat and potatoes, Leslie Sawyer, is going to be joining us as well because she was the uh, uh, president or vice president of Gary Graham's fan club, who, as you guys know, sadly enough, just passed away. So she wants to say a few words about what it was like working with Gary and what kind of person he was. So that's going to be on Thursday night, so don't miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, guys, as I always say, Star Trek fans are the best fans. So please, everybody, stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Live long and prosper. Hey, y'all. Let's see what's out there. Hello, you have reached the Q Continuum. We are unable to get to the phone right now because we are busy living in a plane of existence your feeble mortal minds cannot possibly comprehend. Furthermore, it's pointless to leave a message because we, of course, already knew that you would call and we simply do not care. Have a nice day.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.